We were starting to talk a lot and then I said, hold on, let's let's pause, let's, let's record. So you you played at Oklahoma, played at Bowling Green, Tim played at Bowling Green. You actually played with your, your Tim played with your Iron Horse podcast co-host, Brandon Carr. Uh, and then somehow you got into coaching basketball and that's where I was like, hold on, hold on, let's, let's wait on that. So yeah. you, you play football in college at Oklahoma, transferred and then you played it, Harding? Yeah, I finished How up, long did you- I, I took a victory lap at Harding. I actually went to Arkansas State originally Okay. And had that back in the day before the Baker Mayfield rule got flipped. We still, even though I was a walk-on at Oklahoma, I still had to sit out a season at Arkansas State when I transferred there. Mm-hmm. And I basically kind of went from the penthouse to the outhouse, as it would be from a program standpoint. It was just not really what I wanted after being there for a season. Ended up transferring to Harding and had one season left to play. Finished my career there, met my wife there. And in so doing... Uh, my little brothers came to play there as well. So the three of us, my two younger brothers, all three of us were on the team together. My younger brother, Jeff, and I were on field goal PAT team together side by side for every every game. Uh, so cool. that was pretty cool. And he was a freshman when I was a senior in high school, so we didn't overlap in high school. Yeah. So to have that experience was pretty neat. Uh, we all had an apartment together. and uh, yeah, But what, cool. what I did, my, my family has – I was a fourth-generation basketball coach. So my great-grandfather's in Oklahoma Hall of Fame. My grandfather was a high school coach, superintendent, and my dad is an Oklahoma Coaches Hall of Fame as well. He's won three state titles, played college basketball. So I was actually born into college basketball. Grandpa played D2 ball. My dad played at Oklahoma Christian University in Oklahoma City. So my dad had – my mom and dad had me after JUCO. So going into his junior and senior year, I was a baby at Oklahoma Christian. Sherry Cole, the head women's basketball coach at Oklahoma, was on the team. So uh, on the women's team, obviously. So that's – kind of the air my dad played against Dennis Rodman but I, I grew up in yeah. that I was a gym rat so for me when I went, wanted to go into coaching football was my path to get on the the college level there wasn't a lot of demand for 6'3 290 pound power forwards mm-hmm. you know so I did play that all the way through that was my first love but when it came to coaching that my contacts were in women's basketball my dad was a girls coach he worked went to a lot of camps took his team to team camps met a lot of the D1 coaches and so I got some great advice uh, from the late Kurt Budke at Oklahoma State. He uh, passed away in the plane crash a few years ago on a recruiting trip. But he told me, if you want to get into college coaching, go work camps. So I, I did the grind, uh, OU, OSU, Tulsa, Arkansas. And I was also a, a student assistant. I kind of was proactive as I was finishing my degree at Harding because when you transfer a couple times, and if you transfer to a private school, <laughs> which I did, you lose a lot of stuff and you're, you're hanging around being that super senior. So the head coach at Harding women's basketball team played against my dad in college and hmm. knew of my dad. And so he was like, Hey, if you want to help us out, you know, come on. So did a student assistant for a year and then working camps had a conversation. And this is for anybody that's out there that wants to get into college coaching. This is the way things happen. I'm working a right. camp and Greg Collins, who's now the head coach at Western Kentucky was an assistant on staff at Arkansas. And he was just pulled me aside. I just met him, asked me what my career goals were, what I was looking to do. And we talked about 45 minutes about how I'd like to get into college coaching, you know, the whole deal. Kind of gave my little elevator pitch, gave my background. And two weeks later, he calls me and said, hey, are you still want to be a GA? And I was like, yeah, you know, absolutely. And he said, well, our GA just took a job at Marquette, director of ops, and I'm going to talk to Coach Colin about you being the GA. And I'm like, absolutely, you know. So long story short, two weeks later, I'm the GA at Arkansas, video coordinator, and then as I got my master's, the job at Harding came open, the assistant job. And, but that was our alma mater at that point. 
so we took that job to go back to to Harding. That's awesome. You're you're so right. Though. I remember being a a young. I was a GA, and I worked. My first summer after being a GA, I worked 17 straight days of camps. And I was, so I was at Ashland, which is a D2, where I played, where I transferred from Old Green, played at Ashland too, for one season. And then I went to Ohio State. I went to Cincinnati, uh, Eastern Michigan, Kentucky. A couple of those were, were multiple day camps, but uh, Bowling Green. I worked all of these different camps because I wanted to network. I didn't know anybody I had. So I, I played, we were starting to talk about this. So I played a Bowling Green. I, I quit the 04 season and I really lost contact with all my coaches and anyone who was in the coaching world. And then I came back and played in 08. So I actually, I coached at Oberlin college in 07 and then played at Ashland in 08. So I really didn't have any connects. I really knew the people I knew it at Oberlin. None of them had left at the time. And then I knew the people that I was being coached by at Ashland. So I heard the same deal. Go talk to a bunch of people at camps. Now it mm -hmm. didn't quite work out for me where I got a, another job and I got out of coaching about a year later or coaching college at least. But I, that was the grind. That was the move for all of us. We're like, let's get out and meet as many people as we can. And also for us, we were trying to recruit kids. Like, how can yeah. we get some of these guys that maybe we would never have heard of because at a D2 in Ohio, we're not recruiting Kentucky or Indiana but maybe some of these guys will be able to pull because we have nice facilities and we're a really good D2 program. Sure. Yeah. That's the, that's the game. I mean, it's, it's yeah, all yeah, working yeah. and that's, and that's not just sports. That's, that's life in general. And I didn't, I didn't know that until, you know, you, you don't know it until you know it. Sometimes you yeah. hear, grow up and you hear like, Oh, they just, they know somebody. And it's like, everybody knows somebody. Yeah. If you don't know somebody, you need to meet somebody because that's just the way yeah. the world works. Like it or not yeah. for better or worse. That's how it is. It definitely yeah. is. And I think even more so in the college coaches world, because those guys and girls move so fast, like college football has got to be like every two years, you're getting like a new coaching staff essentially. And like those guys who met somebody at a camp who met somebody at, you know, an AFCA yeah, yeah. convention, those guys are all kind of intertwining. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. So you go to coach and then after that you're done coaching. What do you, why do you decide to get out of the game? Great question. So in 2015, uh, it was my last season in coaching. And a couple of years prior to that, we were playing the conference tournament in Bartlesville, Oklahoma. This is 2013, March of 13. We're about to have our oldest son Beckham a month later. So we're about to have our first kid and my head coach. We're playing in the semifinals of our conference tournament. He's got a junior in high school playing in the state championship game in Little Rock, Arkansas the same night. And we play our game and he, his son goes on, wins the state championship. He doesn't get to watch it. Mm. And I just kind of took note of that. I was like, man, that day's going to come for me if I stay in this grind. Mm -hmm. And I had always thought like, I want to stay in this. I want to be a head coach. I, you know, I was starting to cap out as an assistant. We had started to attain the goals I had, I had set for us as far as like coming back to the program, things I wanted to see us accomplish and try to implement those and do anything within my power to make those things happen. And, we were you know, winning our, our conference and going to the NCAA tournament, things that had never taken place before in the program. So I kind of felt like as an assistant, I've done everything I can do. So for me, looking at that and say, well, what's, what's out there that I can do outside of coaching? What's, what skill set do I have that I can leverage in a more professional world, higher income potential, maybe not being in small college towns, you know, be somewhere like Dallas, Texas. Uh, so I got out of coaching to do physician recruiting. So I basically have the same skill set I was doing with recruiting college you know, you're selling in physician recruiting, you're selling a, a 
location, uh, financial package, teammates, facilities, community, all those things you're selling at a university. So that's, uh, that's what I got out to do in 2015. Interesting. Different, but same-ish, right? Yeah. Similar. Yeah. And then, then, so you launch, I don't know when you launched the Lockdown Sooners podcast. I have, I have not listened to that. Uh, but no, you no have, offense. No offense. You have, it's not you for everybody. Po- yeah. You have that podcast and then the Iron Horse podcast. Yep. Which you launched in June, right? Yes. We launched that in June. And that's kind of a, that's a longer journey than just June. So sure. Locked On Centers, I came on board with that uh, this season during the football season. And that's a, a daily podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. They have, uh, you know, every every major team pretty much covered in local markets. So uh, myself and a, a guy named John Williams, we co-host Locked On Sooners together. But Iron Horse is more uh, a labor of love and a, uh, a passion project that was started really back in uh, 2017 when Brandon Carr and I met for the first time. Our sons were uh, ended up on the same YMCA basketball team as three-year-olds that I volunteered <laughs> to coach, not knowing who was going to be on his team other than one kid from his class. So I had like my son and one other kid. And I said, whoever shows up, we'll just do it. Three and four-year-olds. How bad can it be? Yeah. And then shows up to the first game. And they weren't able to be at the first practice. So all I knew is there was some kid named Austin that was on my team. And I didn't know anything more than that. Well, he shows up. Hey, I'm Brandon. This is Austin. And I don't even put it together, guys, that it's Brandon Carr of the Cowboys. I'm, I'm yeah. not a huge NFL guy. I was always more college football. So the fact that he was just finishing up his five-year contract with the Cowboys was lost on me at the time. He just comes yeah. up. Hey, I'm Brandon. This is Austin. Well, we get out there and play. Austin's pretty good, making some, getting some buckets. And this kid, there was a referee, one of the probably college kid. He walks over to me after the game. He's like, man, you have Brandon Carson on your team? And I said, uh, I'm, am I doing like the mental role addiction? I was like, well, I had a guy named Brandon, his son, same Austin. The last name was, yeah, I do, yeah. And he's like, oh, uh, walk out of the gym, Google. Okay, yeah, that's who that is. Okay, that makes sense, cool. Um, <laughs> but like our, our friendship was never based upon that. Like I didn't seek him out. I was like, oh, he's a cowboy. We need to. We need to work together. It just really happened organically through our kids. And so as we started uh, having our sons, uh, Austin and Beckham, roll through these sports together, they're seven-year-olds now, what happened was we started realizing both of our moms were teachers. Our dads coached us. My dad was a high school coach. His dad was his AAU coach. Uh, so we had a lot of similarities in how we grew up, what we wanted for our kids in sports, the, the principles we wanted to teach them outside of the game, just not just being great athletes, but being good people ultimately being good husbands and fathers and leaders. So we were very philosophically aligned. And so the podcast was created as a a byproduct of a few years of friendship and a few years of experiences with our kids to say, what if we could create a podcast that's centered around holistic development of athletes and have a message out there that you're more than your performance and we want to make you the best you can be through sports for the life after that. Mm -hmm. I love it. We'll we'll get to that. But is he, wait, is he, is he related to Austin Carr, the basketball player? Well, his son oh. is Austin Carr. Yeah. Right. No, no, but no, no, not no. The, no. the Notre Dame. Is my one no. Carr? No, no, no. This guy's older. He's oh. guy, he, might, he might be 70. Now, we're from Cleveland. So he, okay. he was the number one pick for the Cavs in the 70s or 80s and played for forever. Now he's a Cavs announcer. But his name is Austin Carr, spelled oh. with two R's, just like Brandon. No, but you said Austin. So. I said, "Oh shit!" I wonder. No, I, remember no, no. I was thinking when you said Austin. I was thinking Antoine Carr with the with the uh, Oakleys playing for the Jazz yeah, yeah, against yeah. the Bulls. That's what I've been thinking of. So uh, <laughs> no, not him. That's, Big Antoine. That, 
but but then he said his name was Austin. I thought, I want, maybe that's a grandpa or maybe uncle or like. Yeah, who knows? It's not surprising know. though that you like didn't. I mean, I know you're not like a big in the NFL, but like Brandon's a very kind of like quiet, unassuming guy, anyways. Yeah. So probably didn't. Other than the fact that he looks like he's in shape, you might not have like stood out as like an NFL type of guy. Totally. Yeah, he's very humble and goes about his business discreetly. I mean, he's the kind of guy that goes and watches his daughter play. He's not going to go out there and make a show of anything. He's going to be just kind of behind the scenes unless he gets an opportunity to get out there and participate. But, you know, and, and that's, that's one of the reasons that I enjoy working with him is, like I said, we have that similar approach and mentality of, you know, nothing is bigger. Like, we don't want to be bigger than what's happening for our kids, right? And I obviously yeah. had a, a fraction of a career compared to what he has. But the same thing remains that we want our kids to be, you know, doing what they're doing and not make it about, what we did or what we want for them or them doing it, you know, for us, it's more let them be them. So yeah, he kind of hangs out in the background and uh, that's, that's part of who he is. Yeah. Fun fun fact. uh, You know, he's from Flint, Michigan. Do you know that four, they had four guys from their high school that went to the NFL and they didn't win a state championship. (laughs) That's, that's hard to reconcile when you think about the, uh, how, how much of an impact that, NFL players can have on a high school football team. I mean, it's literally four on one team. Well, now one of them was a kicker, though, right? One was a kicker, correct? Oh, okay. But so I, I mean, three, hit the so three, three and a third. That sixty-one yard field goal, that, that dude's booting it through. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but so I, I love that. So the, the whole concept of the podcast, and and obviously, if you've listened to any of our stuff or see us on social media, you see we're constantly talking about athletes and what they're doing off the court, outside yeah. of the field, all that stuff. And I think it's so important to understand where the value can come from that. And that, and you know, Brandon, I guess, did he officially retire? I know he's now he's playing again. Yeah. I, I don't think he, he hasn't officially retired. He, he started the season with the Cowboys. I think this has just been a yeah. crazy year with COVID. I, I think it's uh, probably a wait and see kind of a thing. So, gotcha. but yeah, year 13 and really for the last several years, he's, his off the field stuff has been a huge part of his career as well with the, his car cares foundation, the Walter Payton man of the year nominee or nominations. So yeah, yeah, he, he stays busy. He's got a house full of kids too. So I'm not sure what he, I'm not really sure what his plans are for, yeah. for 2021. Yeah. 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 But, but so, it, so what I was going to say is that so many do it at the end of their career, which makes sense. Cause you're like, Hey, I'm closing up. What's next. What's my next step. Mm-hmm. And where we want to really shift that focus to like now, especially with college athletes and name image likeness, we think this yep. can be an opportunity for athletes to start as a, I mean, probably could start in high school, definitely could start in high school, but, but more so thinking about it as you're going into college to start building these other opportunities. So you don't have to be Brandon Carr at the end of his career and starting to figure something out. Now, now Brandon, I'm sure has done a great job financially. And it's not like he's doing, obviously he's not doing this for money, but a lot, a lot of athletes are not, are then looking at the end of their career. Like what, what do I do? How do I make money? I just sure. spent this $8 million I made over four years or whatever their, their deal was. So I, I love that you guys are doing that. I love the concept behind it. What made you guys want to focus on that sort of deal? Well, I think it's just a byproduct of how we were raised and what we enjoyed about the relationships we had with our dads through sports and being able to replicate that and not reinvent the wheel, but just put a remix on it, right? So for us, we look at this as like, hey, we're kind of paying homage to things our dads did for us, but then also be able to expand that into something that, you know, we don't have any limitations put on what, where we want this to go. So whether that's, you know, it turns into running different teams, different programs for, for kids at different age levels, leadership trainings, recruiting trainings, 
know, there's a lot there, a lot of things that you can, you know, teach parents about stuff that from our collective experiences of me, you know, playing division one and division two football, coaching division one, division two basketball, Brandon going from D2 to the NFL. I mean, Brandon's story alone as a D2 player to be sitting there in 13 years in the league, most people think of D2 players and they don't think that's even an option for a D2 guy to go to the NFL. They don't know that somebody can play a decade. So just those life experiences that we can share with parents sometimes, like something that's simple as, I know you think this is D1 or bust, but let me tell you why that's not the case, right? And like those kind of conversations we can start having. And so we don't really know. We, we, have, we have some plans and we, we've, we've got some things we're working on, but there's really no, no cap on where, what we can do with it. It's just more like trying to fine tune that process as, as the years, you know, as the year unfolds and kind of looking, looking towards a future of ultimately pouring into kids and, you know, casting as wide of a net through that process as we can to influence as many as we can and to make sure that we don't have what I feel like are sports tragedies of kids who have good talent but don't have good character to support it. So. We all know lots of people like that too. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it sucks because it's, you know, like they're just taught what they're taught. They know what they know. And when you're 16, 17, 18, or even 22, sometimes you just know what you know. So it's, it's like, you can be mad at that person and you can be like, how can that, how, how do they not see this in front of them? But they know what they know. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's the whole deal. Like we, we talked about that before is how many kids, like all three of us that sitting here, we played ball our whole life. Right. When yeah. I say when I say a sports tragedy, you guys have three or four names that pop in your head right off the bat. We all right. do. We all know those yeah. guys or those girls. So how can we alleviate that? Well, if we start early enough, just like building a brand from an economic standpoint, if you start building an identity and character traits at a young age too, it's, it kind of goes hand in hand. You know, I mean, it's the same type of philosophy. It's just yeah. you're building your brand or you're building your character. And if those things are properly aligned, well, then your brand is going to mean more because it's going to resonate better with people. But when you talk about starting early, we had Mark Clayton on our podcast talking about building your brand beyond sports. Mm-hmm. And uh, MC was a Blitnikoff finalist. He played at Oklahoma when I was there. First round pick of the Ravens and started Live Brand Headphones. So he kind of reinvented himself as a businessman, started the headphones in a really competitive time when, you know, beats were coming on. So he, he created these headphones that wouldn't fall off when you're working out. And that was, that was kind of like the goal behind that. And we had him come on and talk about how he got into that and what he would do different. And when he was coming up, they didn't have the social media outlets to start building that. Had he been able to do that, then when he started Live Brand Headphones, who knows where that would have gone because he would have had a huge platform he'd been cultivating for years and years and years by the time he got late in his NFL career and started transitioning. So, yeah, I think there's so much value right now in being intentional and being proactive and, and you guys have done a great job of, of highlighting that in different ways, in different sports and different people that come on that have had, you know, different experiences and how they can parlay what they're doing. Because most people think of it as, like, well, Mark Clayton was a first-round pick. He's catching touchdowns. Of course he can start something. But we all know it. There's, there's a lot of people out there that have maybe a more obscure position right now in life, but they can maximize it if, if they choose to. Yeah. And, and it's even more so important now with the new NIL changing where you can have an instant impact in your brand and what you're doing in high school and college and actually maximize that from a financial standpoint too. But, but you're right. I mean, think about, think about this is, you know, if social media is back around then it doesn't matter just because you're a first round draft pick or if you're in the NFL or NBA and you have a big name doesn't mean that necessarily you have 
you're going to be able to go sell stuff. You need to create a brand behind that. Look at what happened this year with Quibi. You guys remember with Quibi? Yeah. So, so they raised $1.75 billion from cool. places. I didn't know that. Yeah. 1.75 billion, billion, not a million, billion. They had the biggest names on the block. They had Disney behind it. They had everyone you could imagine, but the product itself wasn't there and they're going bankrupt and they're looking to sell all within a year. So, yeah. and you, I mean, nobody, no NFL guy can go raise $1.75 billion. You know, the product has to be good. The brand has to be good. And so mm -hmm. it's not just like you have a name, you have a following, go throw something out there. You're going to make money. It's not necessarily the case, you know? Yeah. I, I, I think I, I don't know if I posted this or edited this, edited this last night and didn't. And didn't post yeah, I think I did. But I said it was Cole Anthony. And I said, yeah, of course, the Cole Anthony's of the world who has, who just got drafted, played in North Carolina, got drafted to the NBA, and has 517,000, I believe, on Instagram or did when I, when I mm -hmm. did the video, and then like 50 on, 50K on Twitter. I mean, that dude's got a business, but it doesn't mean myself, who's, who was a, at the time when I quit as a sophomore, I was the fifth corner and the backup on special teams. But I could have 100% been able to sell a footwork program to high school kids in Northeast Ohio, where I'm from. 100% I could have done that. And there could have been a, a lot of other things, but that was just a, a quick example. I, I hear Joe Rogan talk on his podcast about comedians. And he said a lot of, you know, big people with big names will come on like actors or something and try to go be a comedian. He was like, you've got that advantage up front. You, they'll give you 90 seconds or five minutes because you're actor x i don't know he doesn't ever name names but he goes but then if your shit's not good it's even worse for you like you you get that name recognition they're like all right cool cool yeah what's david got to say and then it's like oh david sucks or mm. there's nothing behind him so yeah, it's kind of kind of related same, same type of deal okay. yeah is where the, the you know yeah because you got a big name great but if people don't give a shit about you like anthony edwards I don't know if, if he's done any brand partnerships yet. And he was the number one pick in the draft. And it's not that people don't care about him. It's just that he doesn't share a whole lot. Now, now he has, now he's doing some, but leading up to the draft, he had not posted anything. Yeah. He's totally shifted it now. Not good for him. Making a few bucks. Yeah. People are throwing, but, but, throwing that. It's forcing him to post that stuff. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's, well, that's he, what a manager he, agent should do. Here's one thing I, I think about just the, the marketing and the brands. And you talk about a, a guy like Cole Anthony has half a million Instagram followers already. That's, that's great. Right. Yeah. But I think there's so many opportunities for even like you said, a walk on player that has, you know, whatever experience you have, how can you leverage that? Yeah. And I think whatever it is you're doing as an athlete, you have to think about like, how can I maximize this to be its fullest potential? Right. And that, and sometimes we always think about that as like playing time and, you know, and, you know, back when we were probably in college, sometimes like playing time status or girls going to think this is cool. You know, all those different things that, that was the kind of things we were leveraging pre-social media. Like we we're trying to obtain something for approval or for personal fulfillment. None of it was thought about monetizing what we were doing. Well, I think the other thing with that is even in coaching as well, it's the same kind of a deal. Like, these these big time division one head coaches they get endorsements they get all these different things their brand they can monetize their brand easier right but it really doesn't matter what you're doing you you have to get people to care about it and you have to give them a reason to care about it so if he has 517 instagram followers he only has that because he's given people a reason to invest in him right, right? it's not just because he's good at basketball so to me i look at it as 
the untapped potential is these small colleges, athletes that are in a college town, that they can be intentional about creating a, a little bit of awareness for their programs, for themselves, get in front of high school teams, whether, you know, go around the, the high school, local high schools, speak to teams, uh, you know, sure. create opportunities, maybe to do like one-on-one -on -one personal training if you're a basketball player, you know, get some kids together and do some training in the summers and start to develop that brand while you're playing. And then when oh, you're yeah. done playing, well, now you've been, the whole time you were, you had that buzz, you didn't waste it. You know, you're mm -hmm. not that person. Oh yeah. Well, I think they played somewhere. No, like the whole time you were, you were doing that from day one. Mm -hmm. so then at the end of four years, you've got a body of work and you've got some stuff to, to work with going forward. You have a launch point. Yeah. Yeah. Camps, camps mm -hmm. are the same type of thing. There's, you can do virtual training now, whether that's, Actual one I've seen I've seen Tommy Thompson who's a soccer player for the San Jose Quakes. I've seen basketball players uh, with the MBPA where they just do at home training. Like we're, you and I are on here. I'm going to put you through drill work. You could do that. Or or Tommy Thompson, the the MLS player, he, he has like 50 kids on there, and they're all I don't know what age they are, eight to 13 ish range. They look younger, and he's got them doing drills around a cone, and you he'll post about it sometimes and it's like one kid's outside the other one's in in her bedroom and it's really cool to see that he can he can be able to do this you could also put together a membership subscription program 10 15 bucks a month to put to whether it's like drill work or motivation or whatever your thing is again like we always talk about and, and you've mentioned too is it's building around you specifically all three of us have similarities but are very different in the things we would probably build out if it was around us and our sport specifically. So trying to find those things and building on there is, is the key on it. And, and the buzz is also super, super important that I think that's, that's the point. And when I mentioned earlier, where a lot of times the end of the NFL career, end of the NBA career is when they start to think, Oh, Oh, all right, let me go do something now. When the time you should be doing is when you got that buzz to start building those things out. I, I use this example. When we talk to college schools, our buddy Taylor house, right? was it the quarterback at Ashland and he got, he was really, really good division two quarterback and got invited to Bengals camp, never did anything past that. But Ashland, the city, I think has like 29, maybe 30,000 call 30,000 people that live there. And there's 2000 people on campus. And I think that a guy like that could have, could have been making 25 to $30,000 per year. Mm -hmm. And that's just base level t-shirts, and a couple of brand partnerships because he's the face of the city of Ashland. The small and if town, you, yeah. yeah. Yeah, if you, if you want to be selling product, you go through him, right? Mm -hmm. But if he wanted to really expand and do more and start, he was a quarterback again. So quarterback programs, whether it's fundamentals or mindset or film watch or in, in spe especially where he was in central Ohio, he could have gotten – probably hundreds of quarterbacks to be a part of this program and he could have done it all virtually and, and built it online while he was hot and the biggest name in that specific area and that that's some type of things we want to see people start to build sure. and then that's like the, you know you're talking 2,500 kids at a on campus you look at a, a bigger school like Oklahoma like this is small town yeah, small yeah, yeah. campus and you, you know you're putting together stuff where guys are making 25k plus in this new NIL era, which is, yeah, I mean, it's exciting, but it's like, you know, 17, 18, 19 year old kids, they don't necessarily know what they're doing. So there needs to be education around it too, you know? Sure. And I, I think that's going to be something that starts taking place. I, I know back when I was recruiting basketball, you go to AAU tournaments, right? And they're, they have these showcases. Well, most of those would have some kind of educational component for the players to attend. 
uh, clearinghouse, you know, conversations, NCAA compliance rules, you know, they're, yeah. you know, terrible. They're brutal. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. uh, some of the worst hours you've ever spent in your life as an athlete. But I think the one that would be intriguing is if they start doing some education around, you know, the name, image, and likeness and how you can be intentional about that and start telling them the right questions to be asking of universities. Once this is fully into effect, that when you go to university, know what you're getting into. And if you have a desire, if you, especially if you're a dynamic person, all of this is going to happen easier. If you have, if you're a dynamic personality and you can get people to engage and you know that about yourself, you know, maybe you're that person in high school that, you know, you just have that type of personality that you're going to come into campus and know like I can hang and I, and I bring something outside of just my game. Yeah. Well, you would benefit yourself to be able to say, okay, coach, I get where I'm at in your program. I get where you see me on the, on the court, on the field, but this is important to me as well. What can I do within this program? What are you comfortable with me doing? Cause I, there's gonna be a lot of coaches out there guys that they're going to be super abrasive to this. These old, the old guard of coaches, they're going to see that. I mean, there's guys out there and I've coached with one that to this day head coaches for 20 plus years in college basketball that do not have a Twitter account. And, and almost out of like a, a badge of honor, like, oh, that's not for me. You know, I'm not going to, and to their own detriment, to the detriment of their program, right? Because yeah. they don't get the visibility, don't, they don't, they miss the opportunity, but they're going to be abrasive to this. And so if you think that's something that you want to do and you go to some old school program, that's not going to really be cool with that and not going to help you cultivate opportunities for yourself to, to pursue those things, then you're going to be frustrated and you're going to feel like you kind of handicapped yourself without even knowing it if you don't ask those right questions. Yeah. And we've talked to 60-ish schools, I'd say. And that's, when we, and that's teams and coaches, too. And those are mostly, or all, I should say, football, men's and women's basketball. And we've talked to, a usually we're talking to assistant to the head coaches or recruiting coordinators or ops people or whatever their, their title is. So we've talked to some head coaches, but usually it's those people saying, all right, so what do I need to know? How, do, how does this benefit us? How does this help my kids? How does this help my future kids? How does this help with recruiting, essentially? Sure. And most of them will say, well, the coach, the head coach will do whatever he's got to do or she's got to do. And a lot of times I'm thinking football here because I know football, a lot of fo- a lot of, I know old school football guys are like, kids brand, I don't want to hear about this shit. But they'll do what they got to do. That's why you see Dabo dancing in locker rooms and you see these coaches like, they're getting out of their comfort zone. I saw Coach K in a TikTok the other day or whatever it was. It was some kind of like silly <laughs> like video. Nick Saban dancing in some kid's living room with his mom. I mean, something like oh yeah, yeah, yeah. A whole lot of character. Doing but, the, yeah. the Cupid shuffle a couple of years yeah, ago. Yeah, that's something. what it was. Yep. Yeah. Yep. You'll do it. They'll do it. They don't care. You know, yep. they want to win. Or I shouldn't say they, but most of them will do whatever they got to do to win. So there will be people that are left behind. And we've talked to schools that say, I don't think my head coach is going to get on board with this. There will be people left behind. There will be teams left behind. And, and if you're not in front of it, you're going to be left behind. That's, that's one component of this. Number two is I loved your, your point on the ask the right questions. Because if you look on social media, especially at the high-level football, the high-level basketball, it's come to, my, come to our school and build your brand. We've got X, Y, Z and these things. And it's all – Yep. Some of some of it's really good stuff, and some of it is just smoking mirrors, like the rest of recruiting is. Is we're going to do this, we're going to do that, and I've talked to top recruits in the country, especially in the football world. I get I get random DMs from guys, and I'm like, who is this person? Why do they have 
12,000 followers and why are they in this as five star? Who is this person? And I'll go, well, what, what is the plan that they have for you specifically when you go there? Now ah, they're going to help me build my brand. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like, what is the actual plan for you, for yeah. David? Not, not for anyone who comes here. Yeah. We've got a big following. We've got XYZ alumni. We've got the most business owners or whatever locally or, those are all great things and all great components, but how are you going to help me actually build my brand? Cause that's, that's just a generic recruiting pitch. How do you help me specifically? What do you know about me specifically? And then mm -hmm. we've gone a step further with a couple of the teams that we've done some stuff with is we've helped them craft, craft like the general concept behind a recruiting pitch and gotten into, into uh, specifics of here's why this school is better. And then paint the picture of, Here's what we think you can be when you come here. And it's better you come here as opposed to XYZ school and really show them like these are the reasons and mm -hmm. these are the things that you can start building based off of who you are and who we see from recruiting visits and conversations and also from social media. So I, I think that's so crucial to know the right questions. And I don't know that any kids really know that at this point. Or parents. You know, or even, even talking to the college coaches, like you said, like they don't even know this is a new era for them. Mm -hmm. They got, they got to deal with professional athletes. Now it's not something that they've ever had to deal with essentially. Yeah. yeah. I, I talked to a, a, a big, a big school and it, this person doesn't work on the team, but works in the athletic department. I talked to them this morning, actually. And I said, even your head coach who is at a big school, makes millions of dollars as a coach, makes money on social media or makes money from brand partnerships, has never done a social media contract. And, and this person probably has gotten paid to do stuff on social media, but even they didn't handle the contract. It was their agent or something. So they don't know. Assistants sure shit don't know. Ops people, recruiting corners, they don't know. So it's, it's, you're right, Tim, it's about the education. Like let's teach and teach yeah. and show them how this can work and how it benefits the kids and not just be this face value. Like, Hey, we've got the most Twitter followers of anybody in the country, or we've got the most engagements. That stuff matters to a point, but then it's, it's taking it a step further and really executing on the specific, uh, the specific brand, brand, the specific branding, easy for me to say, the specific branding for you, the athlete. Right. Well, and, and so my wife's a social media influencer. She, her and her, my sister-in-law, they've been doing it for years, get a couple hundred thousand followers. They do all the brand deals. And so, I've been able to get a window into that world. So before we started the podcast and started looking at podcast sponsorships and how those things work and how you get reimbursed yeah. and all that stuff, like I kind of got had a little bit of a cheat sheet from those things, but that's just one side of, of marketing and branding, like a, the podcast game, right? But then you look at yeah. the athletes and for the parents to not be educated is super dangerous. And that's, that's in recruiting yeah. in general. Like you need to yeah. educate yourself. If you have a kid that even, you even think they want to play sometime, you need to really dig into those the right questions to ask just about general recruiting. But now as it relates to this brave new world of name, image, and likeness, you know, I think there's so much potential of, of things that are just outside the box, right? So like to me, I, I think back to like, my brother-in-law played football at Harding, which is a, a rural town in Arkansas, like kind of like Ashland, 20,000, but it's huge like hunting and fishing and that, those kind of things. Well, he's a huge outdoorsman, worked for the guys at Duck Dynasty, Duck Commander after college. Uh, but had a, you think about a guy like that, you go to a school like that, you have a skill set, you're a great hunter, fisherman, you're an outdoorsman. And all of a sudden you look at like, hey, you're also this college football, he's a captain on the team. But like just things like that, like, okay, that's a smaller level. We're not talking about the Alabamas and the Clemsons and 
those, those fan bases are built in, but it's like, okay, I have things I'm passionate about and this is who I am. And you come and tell these coaches like, Hey, this is what I'm, I'm passionate about. I love football or I love basketball or baseball, whatever I play, but these are at my outside interests that I'm good at. These are the personality traits I have. How could you particularly work with me to help me leverage those things? Right? So yeah. we had the Georgia tech strength and conditioning coach on iron horse a couple weeks ago, uh, Lewis Carella, who's a fantastic follow on Twitter, gives really good stuff. And he really kind of flipped strength and conditioning on his head for me because I played for Jerry Schmidt at Oklahoma, who's just notorious for being like, you know, just a, just brutal, merciless person to, to train with. And that's, that's from the walk-ons to the NFL guys. We'll all tell you the same story. But when I heard Coach Carella, his approach is when he has new players come into the program, whether that's when he was at Buffalo, North Texas, now at Georgia Tech, he sits there and he goes through a series of questions to get to know the kid. He wants to know what they're about, what makes them tick, what their passions are. And that way he can kind of coach them appropriately. He can motivate them appropriately. He can know, you know, how they're wired as opposed mm -hmm. to a one size fits all thing. And there's a lot of schools yeah. are going to broad stroke this thing. And like you said, they're going to give the generic spill. But if you ask the right questions, then you're going to see through that real quick. Either they have a team in place to say, hey, we're, here's how we'll, we'll market you. We'll sit down with you. We'll talk to you about all the things you're interested in. And then we'll, we'll circle back with you and see, here's how we can do that. And we'll put a plan yeah. together for you. Because yeah. the teams that are serious and the programs are serious about really buying into this, they're going to be proactive and do those things. So that's, that's to me is where I, I feel like it would be that that's where it needs to get to. And the only way you're going to know if, if a program is doing that or has even a thought about that is if you ask the questions and either expose them for not having it or get the answers that you're looking for. Yeah. And I, I, like I yeah, no, no doubt. No question. The, the problem is, and I talked to, maybe two weeks ago, I talked to a dad of a, of a kid who's like a top five player. Uh, just leave it at that. And dad reached out, just wanted to ask questions. Like what, you know, I don't, I don't really know what's going on. And I, you look at his recruiting list and it's everybody, you know, this kid can go wherever he wants to go. And he was clueless on name image like this, knew of it, knew the words, knew about building a brand, knew the words building a brand, but didn't know the depth behind it at all. And I was amazed because, you know, I've talked to, I've talked to kids who don't know, but that's 17 out of 17. I'm probably not thinking that way. But for the, the dad who's, who's heavily involved in this process, just didn't know. And I look back at, you know, our mom, we, we had our mom and dad, but our dad had a stroke a couple years before we got into recruiting. My, my mom was a high school cheerleader. You know, she doesn't know anything about recruiting. And so what, what would she know? She probably didn't even know if, if she thought to, to try to find information, she probably would have had nowhere to go to find the information and wouldn't have library. known where to yeah, go library. to the library she, back then. She's, well, she's a librarian, so maybe that could work. Classic. But but she would have had no idea what, where to actually find the correct information. That's a big problem that we're seeing is that people just don't know. And also with some of that stuff is that you'll get these generic things for right now. You'll get them probably next year and you can probably get them in a couple of years. But at some point, there's going to be hard numbers. I love, I love that we're going to be able to see, well, at least you'll have to report the numbers of brand brand deals and things that you're making yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, i don't know if that'll actually become public information but i assume there'll be a way to find some of that stuff so you'll be able to if i'm getting recruit i'm a class of 2023 or 2024 we'll have some hard numbers 
Now the hard numbers you could show would be growth on social media. Here's, they came here, they did this, and then here's what we did for that person. And then here's our generic pitch for everybody. And here's our general numbers and our growth and our engagements and all that stuff. And all that stuff's great. But again, it, we want to see the numbers on the FE specifically, but we'll be able to see numbers in a couple of years on financials. And that will really tell the tale of who's really putting in the work and who's just doing this, this face value type uh, thing, which we know a lot of places will do and will continue to do. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be a, an interesting recruiting pitch too, of like a, you know, a heart, someone goes to heart and then they make $50,000. Someone goes to Oklahoma and they're making 10,000 money talks. Even when you're, you know, that young, it, yep. it, maybe yeah. the stadium, maybe the fans don't matter as much when you can make 50 grand to go to that school and be the starter and be the, that guy. Or yeah. And, and maybe it gets the people like us who were never good enough to be NFL players. And we were kind of tweeners, D1, D2s to be like, hmm, I could go be, you know, the, the recruiting pitch was always mm -hmm. go be the guy at this D2 or D3 spot for us. I'm sure you got the same thing, Tim, and I'm sure, David, you're similar. But now that you can say, okay, you can be the guy, and our guy last year made 25000 30000 as opposed to go walk on it at Bowling Green, like that, that can really shift the message. And that'll be how all the recruiting pitches go here over the next couple of years is like, all right, money, 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 following growth, this sort of deal, yeah. and not – not I mean, facilities and all that stuff and academics and blah, 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 blah. That'll all be a part of it, but this is going to take the, the, the real forefront. It'll be, it'll, it'll basically be, to me, it'll be winning name image likeness. Mm -hmm. So if you're, you know, if you're the top teams in the country, of course you're going to be at the top, but then like, what are you doing for your athletes? Sure. Yeah. And I, I think there's not really, there's not really a cap on what level of player can actually do these things. So I think like right. to me, if you're at the small college level, to really have a chance to, to do these things, you really need to be one of the more elite players on the team. But if you're a, a cog in the wheel type of guy at a major football program, so let's just say uh, a second team lineman on the Alabama Crimson Tide, right? Let's just use that for example. Let's just say this guy comes from a town where maybe he, he was like the man in high school and now he's like the pride of his hometown and he's not getting the reps, but he's, he's a member of the number one team in the country. He's, he plays for Nick Saban. He's got some cachet about him. Well, he can go back to his hometown, do offensive line camps. He can do, you know, speaking engagements. He can start to look at like, okay, yeah, I'm not getting the minutes I want. And I'm not, I know within my locker room, I'm not the man here, but that doesn't stop the fact that back home, people think a certain thing about me just because of this association I have. And yep, so they yep. can start looking at that and say like, instead of feeling sorry for yourself and saying, well, I'm not the Heisman contender that's, gonna, that's getting all these great deals. You kind of stay in your own lane and say, how can I maximize the thing that I'm doing, right? So I'm putting all this work yeah. in. I'm, I'm getting up for workouts. I'm going to practice. I'm watching film. I'm going to study hall. I'm doing all this stuff anyway. But if I can say, well, what can I make that worth to me? And, and you know, make, make myself as big time as I can make myself, given the skill set that I have and the place on the team that I have, I think those are the things that are going to be those kind of diamonds in the rough that you're going to look up a few years from now and see these guys that you're like, wait, how did that guy make so much money? He wasn't even a big time player. Well, it's because he was intentional. He assessed yeah. his skill set. Yeah. He figured out who his audience was, how he could play to them, and he did it. So I'll, I'll give you a Major League Baseball example. The Dodgers. I'm a huge Dodgers fan. I got to go to game six and watch him win the World Series here in Dallas. It was amazing. But Corey Seager was MVP of the World Series. But he's not a dynamic personality. And Kike Hernandez is a utility guy who Dodger fans love. He's great on social media. He's engaging. He's funny. He's dynamic. And he's going to probably have way more e external endorsement deals and, and created, he's created a niche for himself that 
between the two of those guys from a baseball historic standpoint, they're not even the same ballpark. Mm-hmm. But he did all the other things well, and he, he appealed to millions of Dodgers fans around the world that endeared themselves to him, not because of his great play, that was part of it, but it's more of how he carried himself and he resonated. So you don't have to be the elite guy. You just have to resonate. No. Even, I, like, I like what you said about staying in your lane. It's all about being authentic. Yeah. Be, be you and, yeah. Be, and, and let that come across on social. But to push back, I'll say at Ashland, the small school, a, a person who wasn't the guy, Tim knows him, Anthony Carbone, was a utility lineman, basically. He would be – somebody got hurt. He would be the guy that would come in and he might have played – I don't think that's all he really did his senior year even. And But he was the most fun dude on campus. If, the, if He was a leader of the parties and, like, he's that guy. So if he would have said, hey, this is going on, or go to Wingstop, we had BW3s, go to BW3s for the party this weekend, and he gets paid 1500 bucks for a social media post. That would be, but that would be a place that, that people would go. So it's, yeah. of course, it helps if you're the man. He also could have probably went back home, and now he's a high school coach in that area. But he could have went back home and started doing the same things, lineman camps and, and drills. I think he was a, a, a snap or two, a long snapper. So maybe some stuff there too. But there, there's so many opportunities with, with everybody. And I don't care. We always say this in, in our pitches to these teams is we don't care if you're the 120th football player or you're the 15th basketball player or wherever your level is. Like, there's opportunities there. I talked to the entire Tulane Athletic Department a couple months ago, and it was 300-plus athletes, uh, coach – athletes had to be there. It was mandatory for the athletes. Coaches were there, and then administrators and stuff were there. And it was me and three other people talking on a panel basically is what it was. And one of the tennis players asked a question and they said, you know, we don't get the following that basketball gets. What should I do to help build my brand? And so a couple of the other guys had whatever they said. And, you know, I kind of just looked him up as they were talking. And I look on my screen. And I was like, well, he's private. So I, I go, so it was my turn to talk. And I said, well, one, get off private. Your Instagram is private. Mm-hmm. Two, what do you want to do? Like what, why, what around tennis do you think is really your move? Do you want to be some tennis influencer? Do you want to start this tennis workout program? Or maybe it's, it's, you've got a great um, speed on your serve or something like that. I don't, you know, I don't, I can't even really talk tennis. So you've got a great backhand or something, right. whatever your thing is. Maybe you, you can start. Well. Yes. <laughs> maybe you can start teaching us drills and building out a subscription model for people to follow and move along with. And then next step, I went on and I looked at, I just typed in tennis on Instagram and I found a handful of different accounts. And some of them were like the, you know, the big leagues. God, I can't, I can't speak tennis at all. If they're leagues or whatever. I, I can't either. My cousin's the Oklahoma state tennis coach. And I, I know okay. it's like, I know Venus Nothing. and Serena and that's about it. There you go. Yeah. Sampras, yeah. baby. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I, but I go on it and some of it's tennis leagues and some of it's just like tennis fans type stuff. But I went on to the one, it was one point something million followers. And the, the last three posts had like 120, 200, 300 comments on it. And I said, go on to the, these people are your market. Go on and start conversations, authentic conversations, but go on and start, ask questions, talk to these people and get them back to your page. Then they see your content about, you know, how to improve your, your backhand or how to improve blah, blah, blah for doubles for old, old people or whatever. Like mm-hmm. have your programs, have your, fit, find your market. I don't know. I'm trying to think like who, like scaling tennis for a long, yeah, long the country club. People, the country club, people yeah, play yeah, tennis for yeah. 70 years. Like yes. You can do this stuff yeah. and they want, they want to learn too. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they're on Instagram, but 
you know, start to build out those programs while you're in it. And, and you can say I'm a two-lane tennis player and people and, and start to have these conversations on social. So they come back and see your social media. And now you've got somebody buying whatever you're selling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, no, I, and the- I, I don't know if that dude can play a lick, but, I, but it doesn't matter. If I want to get into tennis, he knows more than me. I might want to know how he does his backhand or whatever. Yeah, but those more obscure sports, though, those are the ones that have to get a little bit more creative. I mean, that's yeah. just the way it is. Yeah. Right? That's, yeah. that's no different than when I was coaching at Harding University, coaching women's basketball. If you want people to care about your product, you might have to get creative. You can't just sit around and be like, well, man. Because most people, what they do is it never stops past the question that they ask. Right? They, might, they might say, well, how can we get fans to come to our games? And we're just, you know, we're a women's basketball program or we're tennis or whatever it is. Well, most people don't. They, they ask the question out loud. They might pontificate a little bit. And then they never take any action. And usually because they're discouraged because people are like, well, you know, it's really not worth trying that. Just try to win ball games. And, and people, because there's a million people out there that will, you know, kind of talk you down from doing those things because they don't want any part of it themselves. So I think that it's all about the action that you take. Like you, that was great advice that you gave that tennis players to, you know, really start looking around and one, ask the question, what do you want from this? First mm-hmm. of all, and then two, like, okay, now here's a plan of action. So are you either going to execute that or are you going to just kind of resign yourself to your fate as what was me? This is the sport I play. Yes, it's cool to me, but nobody really cares about it. Or you can choose to say, I'm going to do everything I can to make them care. And whatever, whoever decides to get on board with that is better than what I started with. And that to me is like kind of that thing, like, you know, Tim, like I said, like staying in your lane is controlling what you can control and saying like, you know, like for me, when I was coaching Harding University women's basketball, it was like, how can I get the students to come to our games the way they come to the men's games? That was a big challenge for me. Like at the men's games, we'd have a great crowd. We, men's and women's, we would end up like outdrawing 200 D1 schools a year. So we had a great on-campus following. But for the men's games, they would show up, they'd paint their face. They call themselves the Rhodes Rowdies for Rhodes Fieldhouse, kind of like Cameron Crazies. And they were like, they tried to be, and were known in Division II basketball as like the Duke of D2. Like that's how our home court was for the men. But for the women, they didn't show up at all. Like, you know, that just wasn't a thing. So my thought was like, how can I get, even if I got a third of the crowd to come and if we get 20 people to paint their face and I, I hand out signs, I create fat heads of our players, I hand them out and I store them in the storage closet before the game. When the, play, when the fans come in, we start sending them off to managers, you know, hand them out and, they, and we create an atmosphere. But if I would have said, well, you know, nobody's ever done that before. We didn't try that stuff because nobody's going to care. Don't, don't waste your time on that. Well, then our, I would have deprived our players from the atmosphere we were able to create and drum up and that's just a that's not a a revenue generating thing but if you're a coach out there and you're listening thinking like how can I market my program and just get more people to care about it even if it doesn't make you a dollar like it might make you a dollar in the wins that come from it right it might make your program better makes your players buy in more and all of a sudden you start winning more and then the high tides raise all ships you win more you get championships now all of a sudden it does come back to you financially because now you've increased your brand you've increased your product and now your financial will maybe come from that windfall so I think there's just a lot of ways to look at it, but a lot of it requires action and not sitting around just saying, well, I'd like to do this, but I'm not going to do anything about it to actually fix it. What other tactics did you use to draw attendance? Oh, man. Uh, I, did a, I did everything that I could think of. So at, at Arkansas, in my master's program, I took a, a sports marketing class. Uh, a guy named Steve Dittmore, still teaching at U of A, uh, great dude, had us read this book called Marketing Outrageously by John Spolstra which is Eric Spolstra's dad. He used to get executive with the New Jersey Nets back when nobody cared about him. I think he was also with the Trailblazers. And he talked about, I think he did minor league baseball as well. 
but he gave all these examples of outside the box ways to draw people into games. And it just really resonated with me about building a brand. And it wasn't just like, you know, I kind of, I sat back and I thought, wow, if NBA teams are having to have those conversations, well, then it makes sense that everybody is, right? So if you're at a small college, which I would find myself at a small college a year later, it's like, wow, well, I can, I can sit around here and say, well, I'm in a small college, but the NBA people are saying the same things. The AAA baseball stadium is saying the same things. So we're all trying to do the same deal. So it's like, okay, well, let's try what they try on a smaller scale maybe, but let's do those things. So mm-hmm. for me, it was um, – we had camps. So we had team camps. We had 60 teams. At, we'd have back-to-back camps. We had like 60 schools at each camp. Well, that would be 60 schools. They may have three or four teams. So it's like thousands of kids on our campus. Mm. Well, we were always just giving out these generic Harding basketball T-shirts to everybody that came. Nothing women's basketball specific. And I, as soon as I got there, I couldn't believe that. I was like, wait a second. Talking about branding. We got a built-in. We got thousands of kids coming to our camp. Yeah. Spending three or four days apiece on our campus, walking the campus, playing our facilities, eating at the calf, staying in the dorms. And they're going to walk out of here with just a generic Harding basketball shirt that 99% of the people are going to see that and think it's men's basketball. So what I did, I created a Lady Bison Nation logo. It just said Bison Nation real big and had a little lady in cursive, kind of like across the top, kind of subtle, but enough to, that anybody would wear it. Guys would wear it too. And that was the shirts we created. So I sent thousands of kids off to all corners of Arkansas and some into Oklahoma and some into Texas and Louisiana. And they had Lady Bison Nation shirts that had a Harding's logo on them. And as I would start recruiting and going to high school gyms, I would see kids across the gym wearing these shirts that they got at camp. So mm-hmm. it's creating, I was trying to speak something into existence. There was no Lady Bison Nation. It was a myth. But we created a fabrication that looked like, hey, we got a brand out there because they're here. We're giving them a shirt. Let's make it mean something. And then we started looking at like, well, this is 2012, guys, 2011. Nobody had their own social media accounts back then, not in small colleges. And even D1 schools weren't really giving them much love. So created Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And I think it was uh, around 2013, 2014, we had more Instagram followers and uh, programs like, uh, I'm sorry, more Twitter followers like Syracuse, Stanford, like big time D1 schools, just because we were paying attention to it and trying to grow it. So what it did for our program was, and again, like I had a head coach that didn't even have Twitter. So everything was working against me. Our, our athletic department had a, a Twitter page for all sports, just one. So I just kind of was like, well, I can sit around here and like wait for them to promote us, which they're never going to do, or I can just pour myself into this and try to say, hey, like, let's make this as big as we can. Let's get people excited about it. Let's get these kids who are coming from us from all over the place to play. Let's let their people back home have a way to follow them. Let's give them content. And so we started doing those things. And what happened was the buy-in started becoming like, hey, we're doing things and we're getting promoted for it. And, and people care about it. It's not just being, you know, these games are just happening and floating off into the wind. These, mm-hmm. these box scores, these stat lines are being shared with cool graphics, with video highlights and all these different things. So started growing that. Then we did um, promotional videos where they're like three-minute movie trailers with a theme and a hashtag and a logo design, all centered around trying to create the, you know, like the first year was Rise Together. The second year was, was from a Those were really good. I those were great. Those, those were great videos. Yeah. Cool. Well, I appreciate you guys saying that. But what we did was we had Rise, Rise Together was the first one. It was like, okay, we had a young group of kids trying to attain something that had never been. Well, then we were pretty good that year, had everybody come back. Then it was like, okay, our, our slogan this year is right now. Like, we've been building to this. Like, this is the moment. Sense of urgency. It's right now. 
So that was our hashtag. We had the logo, uh, had Imagine Dragons on the, on the soundtrack for that video, had our, our chancellor who had this like great voice narrate it. And <laughs> I was going to ask you who that was. That, Jan, yeah, that voice is so good. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. It's like, like a Morgan Freeman's type voice. He's yeah. from New Orleans yeah. originally, but, um, but what did we did with he love doing that voiceover. <laughs> yeah, he was good at it. He, yeah. he did a lot of just general ones for the university. So yeah. I had him. He actually passed away this past year. He was 96 years old, but sharp as a tack. And he never missed a football game or basketball game. He would travel. Just amazing guy. Um, but he, he did our um, – Dr. Cliff Guinness, he did our, our voiceover. Well, that season with right now, we ended up – we're 29-1, ranked number two in the nation, going into the NCAA tournament for the first time ever. Um, spoiler alert, we got beat in the first round. That kind of sucked. But, you know, the, but the, the payoff was – we, we started speaking it into existence, like, hey, we're going to rise together. Hey, we're going to do it right now. And, and it, we backed it up. And we were sitting there the whole season, like, every game, hashtag right now, hashtag, you know, like, creating this thing, like, this is what we're going to be doing. And then the following season, my last season there, we had the hashtag of legacy because it was like, okay, we got seniors that, that started all of this four years ago, my, the first recruits I brought in. And I kind of knew I was going to be – it's sort of my swan song, too. I kind of already knew I was going to be getting out. <clears throat> so – I looked at it and said, hey, this is legacy. Let's, we did it. Can we do it twice? Can we back it up and make it not a fluke? And so the second year, we won the conference again. Went back to the NCAA tournament. We're a top 10 team again. So I think those are the things that I see the payoff was. Did that make me more money? No. Did it ruffle feathers within the athletic department because I was trying to be outside the box and do things, take the bull by the horns and do it? Yes, it did. The, our, our SIDs weren't real high on me for trying to like, do that. And what happened shortly thereafter when I left? every program has their own Twitter account. Mm -hmm. Every program has their own handle. And, and that's cool. Like, I don't, I'm not bitter about it. I think it's great. I wish it would have happened sooner, but I, I think it's just like, like on my point on that though is not to say I did all these great things. It's to say that if you sit around and wait for somebody to do it for you, it probably won't happen. So I'd rather be uncomfortable and see my kids as a coach, see my kids promoted well, see them get buy-in and have fans care then to sit around and say, well, it's just the way things always are going to be. Nothing we can do about it. Yeah, it's awesome. I think that's a good place to end. It, yeah, it reminded yeah. me of a little bit of my softball days at UCF that you're talking about. But let's end with that. David, we appreciate the time. Thank you for coming on.